Good morning. My name is Brad, and I'm part of the staff team here at the Attridge Congregation of Forest Grove Community Church. And last week, we began a series called Journey to the Cross. We've already spoken of that this morning. And as Kevin said, this cross has been intentionally placed where it is. And I realize that in some ways, it's in the way. From right here, it's perfectly in the way of the clock, which is awesome. I have no idea where the time is. But, but we've intentionally placed it this way because we want in our preparations as we lead up to Easter, we want the cross to be central in all we do. We want that throughout the year, but particularly as we prepare for Easter, we want the cross intentionally in the center of all we do. And last Sunday, uh, Pastor Dale preached from the, the first, uh, from the chapter 12 of John, the first uh, sermon in this series, about the scent of extravagant worship. And, and he talked about when... Jesus had his feet anointed with perfume at Bethany. And he shared with us this idea of extravagant worship that was explained there. And today we're going to look at the next chapter of John. We're going to look at John chapter 13. And we see another account of foot washing in this chapter. I just want to read that for you from John chapter 13 beginning at verse 1. It says, Before the Passover celebration... Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything, that he had come, over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around them. And when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing. Someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And so Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. And Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. And that's what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. And after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master." nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And as we look at this account from some of the last days of Jesus' life, I pray that you would allow us to be able to to, uh, just find in that practical ways that we can apply that to our lives. Ways that we can use this account to strengthen our relationship with you and live lives that would be pleasing to you. And so I pray as we study this this morning that you'd use me, that you'd give me the words to say. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I love reading through the Gospels. And there was a season in my life where I was involved in directing and producing an Easter theater production every, every year. And as part of my preparation for doing that, I would read through the four Gospels and read a variety of commentaries on them and some of the historical background. And I loved just delving into the culture of the day and, and trying to find the most I could in each of these accounts. And one of the things I learned is the more that I delved into it, the more that I studied it, the more I realized that I didn't know. And the more I realized that there's incredible truths that can be learned here. And so my temptation this morning is to go through and is to try to, even from the limited knowledge I have of this passage, to try to share every little detail with you and say, well, this is what's all going on. And I'm going to try to resist that temptation. Uh, because with the time that we have, I'd like to share two simple lessons that we can, can glean from this passage. And so if there's parts in here that you look at and you say, hey, he just seems like he's skipping over that or he's not addressing that, that's, that's my intention because I really want to look at just two simple lessons that we can learn here. Chapter 13 of John begins kind of a shift in this book. Up until now, we've been looking at his public life. We're looking at the public life of Jesus and what he did. And at 13, we begin to see a set of private conversations that happens between Jesus and his disciples and Jesus and his father. And there's this this shift that takes place in the book. And John does a great job of setting up this account of the washing of Jesus, of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. The first four verses gives us a ton of information, and it's easy to skip over it quickly. But this gives us the context for what's going on. So I just want to read this quickly. In verse 1, he says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. And so he starts off, we realize that Jesus' mind is focused right now on the cross. He's known all along what his purpose was, but right now as he's in this phase of ministry, what he's doing and what he's doing around this account of the Passover, he's thinking already about what's happening at the cross. And that will give us insight into this foot-washing account and why he did it. And it also talks about the fact that he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end again. This idea of his love for the disciples becomes very important in what he's about to do. But then John kind of jumps over to another thing. And in some ways, at first read, this felt out of place for me. I thought John could have talked about this later. And that's when he says that it was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. John thinks it's important for us to know that. That Judas has already made up his mind. The wheels have already been put into motion here. And he wants us as the readers to realize that. And we'll get to that in a moment. And the third thing he wants us to know is that Jesus, in verse 3, is Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Now, Jesus knew this. This wasn't new to Jesus. But John feels it's important to remind us that Jesus knew his position as equal, is equal with God. He was God. And he says, as we look at this account of the foot washing, it's important for you to know that. It's important for us to know that Jesus is focused on the cross, but he knows who he is. And that's when we get into verse 4, where it says, So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. And I think it's interesting that he washed all of the disciples' feet, including Judas. And I think that's why we have this note earlier in John, telling us Judas knew what he was going to do already. And I can't help but wonder in my head two questions. 
What was Jesus thinking when he washed Judas' feet? And we don't know that. But I can't help but wonder that. What was, Judas, or what was Jesus thinking when he washed Judas' feet? We realize in just a few verses later that we read that Jesus was aware that Judas would betray him. And a few verses earlier, we know that Judas had already made up his, assign, his decision to betray him. And so it's just an interesting question of what was, what was Jesus thinking as he did that? As he humbled himself to the lowest position to wash Judas' feet. And what was Judas thinking? He already knows that he's going to betray Jesus. And here's Jesus, his rabbi, kneeling down and washing his feet. And, and so it's just an interesting question of what was going on in that mind when Jesus took that lowest position. Uh, we're going to talk more about this, but just before we continue with examining this passage, I want to call Tyler forward. And, and I talked to Tyler before about this. Uh, many of you know Tyler. Tyler is one of our worship leaders here at the Attridge Congregation of Forest Grove Community Church. And, and I talked to him this week, and I asked him if he would let me wash his feet as I began to preach the sermon today. And one thing for you, if you've never, I know a number of you have been involved in foot washing before. But if you've never been involved in a foot washing uh, a ceremony or foot washing time before, in our culture, it's often way more uncomfortable for the person having their feet washed than the person doing the washing. And so I'm, I'm thankful that Tyler was willing to, uh, to, to do this and willing to allow me to do this. Tyler, as I do this, I want to let you know that I have really appreciated the opportunity to get to know you over the past uh, number of years that I've been here. I have appreciated what you bring to our worship here. I appreciate the gifts and the talents that Jesus has given you and the willingness that you have to use those to serve our church. I appreciate the way that you work with your team. And I just want to say by washing your feet today that I'm here to, to serve you in whatever way I can and support you in that ministry. And I'm thankful for that. Foot washing, as I said, has a, has a different context in some ways today than it did in the time of Jesus. And in order to understand what the disciples would have had through that, it's important for us to understand some of those differences. And one of them is the fact that in the Jesus' day, disciple, or the people would have worn sandals barefoot wherever they went. And they would have walked everywhere uh, in sandals. I spent some time in Egypt uh, a, a number of years ago. I spent about a month backpacking through Egypt. And I wore flip-flops wherever I went, because that's just what I do in the summer. And I was amazed at the end of the day how dirty my feet were. It was astounding. And, and Egypt has a similar kind of, of uh, geography to where this would have taken place. But you were just absolutely filthy by the end of the day. And you have to also remember that, that in the time of Jesus, there would have been lots of animals using those same trails, whether they be camels or donkeys or horses. And they would leave things on the trails. And chariots or other animals would walk through and grind that into the dirt. And, and so this isn't just some nice clean dust on your feet. This was gross. And as they walked, their feet were gross. And so it's easy for me to wash Tyler's feet because Tyler's feet were pretty clean. When they're washing feet in this context, the feet were dirty. In fact, this was considered such a low task, such a menial task, that, that a person of, of, of lower class would wash their own feet because that's their only option. But someone of an upper class would have a slave or a servant wash their feet for them. And especially in the context of a special time, a special feast, which is what we see here, it would be custom to have a slave there to wash the feet. 
Now, I think it's interesting what I read is that a Jewish slave would never be asked to wash someone's feet. Because washing feet was below what would be required of a Jewish slave. Only Gentile slaves would be asked to wash someone's feet. That's how low this is. I tried to think of an example. What would this be today for us? What, what are they asking for? What's the lowest, most menial thing? And, and the thing that I came up with, and I, I could be wrong, maybe there's a, a more a menial task, but I thought, if you've ever been at a special event and they have those fabulous blue cubicles that you use, washrooms, someone's job after the event is to clean that out and make it look clean again for the next event. That's someone's job. Clean in the porta potty. And I can't help but think that that's got to be somewhat comparable because this was seen as so menial, you wouldn't even ask a Jewish slave to do it. And there's one exception to this. Occasionally, a, 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 a rabbi, a student would come and wash the feet of the rabbi. Or a wife would wash the feet of her husband. And this would be done as a sign of incredible uh, devotion, a way of just dedicating yourself to that person. Uh, an incredible show of love. But it would be completely unacceptable for the reverse to happen. A rabbi would never wash the feet of his student. And so in this account, when Jesus takes off his outer robe and wraps a towel around his waist, this is the sign to them of a slave. That's what a slave did. And so these disciples would immediately know what Jesus was doing. In Luke's account of the Passover meal, we find out that the disciples had been arguing about who would be the greatest. And so that's kind of the context. They're all coming in going, who's the greatest here? Who's the greatest? And then they see Jesus, their rabbi, taking the position of a slave. And I think there are, are, are a couple of lessons that we can learn from this. Two key lessons. And the first one of these is a lesson in spiritual cleansing. In verses 6 through 11, we pick up again. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replies, you don't understand now what I'm doing. Someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. Peter gets a bum rap in the Gospels. Like, he's this boisterous guy who always just shouts out what's on his mind. And often we look and go, what was he thinking? You don't talk to Jesus that way. That's unacceptable. And yet, knowing what we know right now, what was unacceptable was for a rabbi to wash the student's feet. And so Peter's standing there going, Jesus, this is unacceptable. You can't wash my feet. That's just not the way it's done. And Jesus replies, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Simon Peter exclaims, well then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. And Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. We see this, this lesson is spiritual cleaning. And remember in verse 1, Jesus is focused on the cross. He's already looking at what would be accomplished through the cross. And so he says, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. It's not just about being washed. It's about who's doing the washing. He says, it's got to be me. Unless I wash you, you won't be clean. And we see this as this message of salvation. In fact, in the next uh, chapter of John, Jesus says that, that famous verse, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, I've got to do the washing. I'm the only way that you can get clean. Now, in order to understand this, this you're already clean. You just need to wash your feet. Again, we need to know a little bit about their culture. 
They didn't have bathrooms like we do. When they got dirty, they didn't go to the bathroom, turn on the shower, have a quick lather up, and be like, yeah, good, I'm clean. The men in this culture would go to a bathhouse. That's what they did. And they'd go to a bathhouse to get washed up. And, and we can assume the disciples had done this earlier that day because they were getting ready for this big, important feast. They probably went to a bathhouse, they got washed up, they got clean, and then they put on their sandals, and then they walk there. And their feet get dirty again. The bath is kind of a symbol of salvation. The bath is this idea of Jesus cleaning us. And he says, once you're bathed, you don't need to be bathed again. Once you have salvation, you don't need to continually go through and accept salvation again. That's a gift that's given to us. And if there's people here who've never accepted that gift, who've never decided, you know what, I'm going to live my life for Jesus. I want to live my life in a way that would be pleasing to him. I want him to be Lord and Savior of my life. I encourage you to make today that day. And if you want to know more about that, come talk to me. Come talk to another staff. Come talk to someone on the worship team. We would love to talk with you about that. But that's that idea of being bathed. And then we have this idea of being washed. And just like in in their time, after they they left the bathhouse and walked, they kind of got dirty again. In our walk, we get dirty again. Because we're not perfect. And we mess up. And we got this daily gunk on us. And he says, hey, I can wash that too. You don't need a full bath. I just need to wash up that gunk. And it's this idea of having our daily sins forgiven. Coming to the cross and having those daily sins forgiven and having that part of our life washed clean again. And even maybe more than that, I think it's a sign of being daily consecrated, daily giving our life, dedicating our life to Jesus, saying, I will live today in a way that will be pleasing to him. And doing that on a daily basis, washing up so that we are fully clean again. But we also learn there's a second lesson. He's using the same, the same act, the same account to teach two things. And the first one was this idea of a lesson in spiritual cleansing. And the second lesson is a mandate for humble service. He's telling us to have a servant's heart. And we read about that in verses 12 to 17. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? Jesus often teaches through parables or lessons or these these various ways of teaching. And often with his disciples, he finishes it by saying, Did you get it? You you, you get what I'm talking about? And, And half the time the disciples are like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Jesus. And then he goes through and he explains it to them. And that's what he does here. He says, do you want me, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. He's calling us to humble service. If the Lord and Savior of the world will take a job that's really so menial that only the, um, not even Jewish slaves would do it. It had to be a Gentile slave to do it. The Lord Almighty would take that job. He's saying, then what job can't you take? What job can't you take and serve? And throughout the gospel, we're called to, we see a clear call to this idea of living a servant heart. I was talking with Seth, my son, this week, who's, uh, who's six. And he asked, we were, just, we were actually picking up the, the pitcher and wash base, and he asked what I needed it for. And, 
And I told him when I was preaching on Sunday, and he said, oh, so you're doing that long, long talking part. Yeah, I'm doing the long, long talking part. I said, well, what are you talking about? And so I told him, I said, well, I'm talking about the story where Jesus washed his disciples' feet and, and how we were told to do the same thing. And, and he looks at me and goes, I don't really think we have to wash each other's feet. I think Jesus was just telling us to do good things for each other. I was like, where did you learn that? He goes, well, I've read the story, Dad. And, and so, and it is, it, it's clear. He clearly lays it out here. Now, we do wash each other's feet. And there's times, and we've done that as a staff, where we've washed each other's feet as a sign of devotion, as a sign of loving each other. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I don't think that's the only command here. He's not only saying, go and wash each other's feet. In our culture, it's not as necessary. And there's times when we do that, but he's saying even more than that. He's saying, live a servant lifestyle. And that's tough for us, because in North America, we live in this culture that is characterized by affluence, entitlement, and a consumer mentality. And as you look around it, you'll you'll see this everywhere. Even in these times of economic struggle in our country, we are still a country of affluence. And because we grew up with affluence, we have this sense of entitlement. It's about what I deserve. I deserve that. That's my right. How many times in the news do you hear, but it's my right to have that. You can't take my rights from me. And we have a consumer mentality. So much of what we do is based on this consumer mentality of it's all about buying what you need to make yourself happy. And because we've grown up in this culture of affluence, entitlement, and a consumer mentality, it sort of starts to shape our our, our lives. And part of it comes back to even this idea that as humans, we're by nature sinners, and we by nature think of ourselves. And that plays into it too. And that mentality, unfortunately, in North America has made its way into our churches. How many people here have ever heard the term church shopping? We use the term all the time. Yeah, they're just church shopping right now. Church shopping? I'm shopping for a church? When you go shopping, you're looking for the thing you need, for the thing that's right for you. If you're shopping for clothes, you want the clothes that's just perfect for you. We go church shopping. And maybe that'd be okay if if church shopping meant, I'm looking for the church that has a place for me to use my gifts and abilities to serve my God, and a place that I can grow in my relationship with Him. And hopefully that's a part of it. But often when I hear people church shopping, they're looking for the church that's perfect for them. I want the church that's got the right music for me. It's got the right teaching for me. It has the right ministries for me and for my family. It's all about me, because that's what my life is about, is me. We've let this consumer mentality creep into our worship services where we talk about whether the music was too loud or too quiet. Did we sing the songs I wanted to sing this morning? Did the preacher preach what I wanted to preach? Was the room too hot or too cold? Because it's all about my preferences. Because I am the most important. Is this mentality that comes out of our culture. One commentator wrote it this way. I thought it was really good. He said, there is much more concern for self-fulfillment than for pleasing God and truly serving him and others as seen in the life of Jesus. There's much more concern for self-fulfillment than for pleasing God and truly serving him. 
And that's the culture we live in, and we can't necessarily change the culture we live in. But I do know that Jesus has called us to live counterculture. He's called us to live a different way. And even back when he was on earth, he was talking about the idea that, hey, you know what? You can't live the way your culture wants you to live. Only a short time prior to Jesus washing his disciples' feet, James and John are vying for the best spots in heaven. They're deciding, trying to decide who's going to sit on the right hand and left side of, of Jesus when they get to heaven. And then the other disciples find out about that, and they love that. And then they kind of come to Jesus with the whole thing. And, and in Mark chapter 10, beginning at 41, we read, When the ten other disciples heard that James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. He says, among you, it's not going to be like that because you live different than your culture. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even the Son of Man, even Jesus came, not to be served, but to serve others. We are called to live differently and to be servants for Christ. We are in a very exciting season here at Forest Grove Community Church. There are some exciting possibilities on our horizon. And you've heard about some of these. We are currently discerning starting a third congregation. We currently have our Attridge congregation. Right now, we have a Broadway congregation. Uh, Maureen, our children's pastor, is, is speaking there this morning. And we're discerning, should we start a third congregation? And some opportunities have come in place for that. We, we're dis- discerning our green space. For those who have no idea what a green space it's a hunk of land right beside the church over here. And, and for a number of years, it's been this discussion of, of what do we do with that and some exciting uh, possibilities are opening up there. And other opportunities are being discussed within our, our church leadership at various levels. But it's easy for us to even look at these things through this lens of, of this of egocentric lens. And often it's easier for us to see this at other people than ourselves. Often it's easy to look at someone else and say, yeah, they made these comments, but they're only thinking of themselves. They're only thinking of themselves is all they're thinking about. And it's easier to look at it in other people. And so I'm encouraging us to turn the lens around and look at ourselves. When I think of sight three discernment, I start to think, what else is going to fall on my desk? If we start a third congregation, that something's going to have to give somewhere and something's going to fall on my desk. So how's that... How's my time going to be affected in that? How's that going to affect my time with my family? What if some of our best musicians feel called to go and and minister at our third congregation? And I have to find new people to replace them. What happens if Tyler decides to go over to our third congregation and lead worship there, and I need to find new worship leaders here? How's that going to affect me? And it's very easy for me to look at that in my first gut because that's the way I'm programmed because I'm sinful by nature. Say, how's that going to affect me? But this isn't the approach that demonstrates the heart of a servant. That's not how a servant looks at it. 
Those are the wrong questions to ask. Now, it's not wrong to have concerns or questions. In fact, that's why we're having a meeting tonight, and I encourage you to come out. There is some exciting stuff up there, and we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you have. We want to hear what you're excited about. We want to hear what you're concerned about. We want you to catch blind spots that maybe we missed as we talk through these things. I'm just encouraging you as you do that to to ask yourself, what is my lens on this? Am I looking at what's best for me? Or am I trying to determine what's best for our church? Because sometimes what's best for our church isn't what's best for me. But servants aren't thinking about themselves first. Servants don't put themselves first. Servants are there to serve others. And that's what we've been called to be. Servants of Jesus Christ. As we finish up this morning, I'm going to call the worship team forward. And in my opinion, one of the best instructions on living a servant life comes when we read Philippians 2, verses 1 to 6. And so what I'd like you actually to do is just where you are is to close your eyes and just listen carefully as I read through the first six verses of Philippians chapter 2, where we read, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests. Take an interest in others, too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He humbled himself to obedience to God and died a criminal's death. Cross.